overwhelmed with gratitude. Oh, bless the Lord. So
all pray. <clears throat> Father, once again, we thank you for this wonderful privilege you've given to us that we can come into your presence. We can come into this environment and this building. Those who are following us online can tap into your spirit, Father. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for these songs, Lord, and the desire that we can be filled with the spirit of your son. Help us tonight, bless this service, bless us over this weekend, we ask in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen and amen. And so we're thankful to God that he has been good, merciful to us. And tonight, I want to uh, continue where we left off on the weekend. On the weekend, we talked about uh, the meekness and gentleness of the Lord Jesus. The meekness and gentleness of the Lord Jesus. Now those of you following us online and those that will not be able to do so but will, will, will listen to this message later on, I'd like you to understand that uh, the most important thing uh, in our lives is that uh, we can understand and take on the spirit of Jesus. The, the human race uh, were allowed to fall into, into sin. And it was not like God designed sin to come into this world. And this is um, some of the things that we need to fully understand. We are born, shapen in iniquity. And like the scripture says in sin, our mothers did, did conceive us. And so, when I'm thinking of this whole process of salvation, we would not have needed salvation had sin not entered into the world. And so, because sin has entered, did enter into the world, and this is where we must understand the permission, God's ability and his permission of evil, uh, not his approval of evil, but his permission of evil in that he could have stopped it, he could have prevented the whole thing from happening, but then his plan of salvation would have not been 
uh, activated. Uh, Jesus is described ever so often as a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. That is, according to my understanding, before the world was even formed, before anything ever existed, God the Father had a plan. And God the Father, in his plan, uh, his plan was to have, uh, in the ultimate uh, plan that he had, my using my human reasoning, he had a, a Adam, a part of his plan, created in his image and likeness. And then through the process of Adam being in the Garden of Eden and Eve was created, uh, fall, the fall of mankind. Uh, Eve had to be created. Uh, man had to fall into sin. Uh, not that God approved that, but God could have prevented it. But I think it was a part of God's plan. And so God never errs in his judgment. And so when you think of the complete panoramic plan of God, before even Jesus was created, God had a plan. Before the worlds were formed, God had a plan. His plan was to initiate uh, man's uh, creation, man's fall, and the process of man's redemption through the years. Uh, it all ended up from man's, from Adam created in the image of God. Uh, the end result is man is restored and the image of God restored to man. Uh, the whole process of God's salvation uh, necessitated uh, man's fall, necessitated a plan of redemption. And when we go through the whole Old Testament and coming on right on to the New Testament, the the original Adam, Adam was called the first Adam, and a lot of people like to say second Adam, but Jesus is not the second Adam. Adam is the first Adam, and Jesus is the last Adam. And that is the plan of God to bring a man back into that original state. Uh, there is a Canadian author and poet uh, that wrote many, many years ago a little a piece of poetry, a literature, English literature. It was called Paradise Lost. Paradise Lost. And um, John um, Milton, uh, he was, uh, he lived in a place that we named here, Milton. Uh, that's where the name, the, this little town got its name from, was the author. And he was Canadian. And he wrote that uh, very complicated a lit piece of literature called Paradise Lost where it shows that man fell and there was a redemption that God was to work in man's life to restore paradise to what it originally was. Well, when I'm thinking of this whole plan of God, I'm thinking that even before the worlds were created, God had a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. It's not like Adam was created and then God was surprised that Adam sinned. Oh, no. It was all a plan of God, a part of God's plan for redemption. And everything, uh, whether you say, well, the devil is my enemy. Well, he is your enemy because he is working contrary to the plan of God. But God's redemption plan is to take a depraved man, fallen and sinful in his nature, and has a plan to restore man uh, that when, it's, when it all concludes and the final climax of it all is that man would re be restored to what man was in the Garden of Eden and even greater than that in that man will become like God's son, our Lord Jesus. Man will be given a position where paradise will not be corrupted again. Because man will become immortal like God. The plan of God was eventually to be fulfilled in 144,000 individuals that overcome a life of uh, battling the flesh and the carnality of the human fallen nature and become like God in the sense they take on the very mindset of Christ and God makes them uh, like himself, immortal. And uh, the first of God's creation was his son. 
When Jesus was created by the Father, he was not created immortal. But at his resurrection, uh, God resurrected him and given him immortality. And that is when the Father says, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Tonight, I'm not talking about all of that. Uh, that's just a general concept. So, you and I are a part of God's plan. We are depraved. We have a fallen nature. Uh, we have a, a tendency to sin. And because we have a corrupted and fallen nature, uh, God has uh, allowed the devil to exist, to be that one to tempt us uh, based on three basic principles. A man's fallen nature has uh, what we call the lust of the eyes, and then the lust of the flesh, and then on top of that, the pride of life. And so to accomplish this redemption plan, God has a son that had to take upon him human flesh, come on this earth, conquer those areas that we, you and I are supposed to conquer, and then when he overcame that, he ascended back to the Father and give us his spirit of his spirit that you and I depraved can have that additional help that we can also conquer the flesh and come to that place of being overcomers that when Christ establishes the kingdom, there'll be 144,000 overcomers that are little gods in the sense that you'd have the very immortality that God possesses and he has given to his son. That's a lot I've said in a nutshell. Tonight, we'll look at a few scriptures and see how best we can continue like this. So I like the songs that says to have a heart that's pure, a spirit just like yours. That is what we're trying to get to the place. Uh, the meekness and gentleness of Christ was a lesson not intended to excite you or to make you get goosebumps, but to challenge you. And I, I challenge myself by these lessons to pursue a path that we become like Christ. Uh, Paul made a statement here in Philippians, the second chapter, and he, he tells us about this Jesus and this, uh, this, uh, this project that is set before us. Uh, he tells us here, he says in chapter 2 of the Philippians, he says, if there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, that is, the Spirit of God, <clears throat> if any bowels and mercies. Uh, so we're looking at the project that is set before us, fellowship of the Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to help us in this process of becoming overcomers. Now, if you don't have the Holy Spirit baptism, uh, you can't become a part of the 144,000 overcomers. Well, don't fake it. You'll still not become a part of the 144,000 overcomers, but you can overcome the flesh and you can be qualified to come up in a resurrection that will give you access and accessibility into the coming kingdom of God. Uh, but tonight, let's look at this and see this example that is set before us. It says here in Philippians, the second chapter, Paul says, Fulfill ye my joy, verse 2, that you be like-minded. Now think about it, a like-mindedness. Uh, the 144,000 overcomers has a common mindset. Uh, now, we, I am sitting here tonight, and I have a lot of my mind. Uh, the carnal mind cannot uh, attain to this place of maturity and accomplish what God intends it to accomplish. A carnal mind, and that is why uh, we have to come to that place where we pursue a mind like Christ. And I saw, I like the songs we sang tonight. Uh, Jesus, fill me with your spirit. I need that in my life, not my spirit. And that is why the plan of the devil is to undermine this project that God is working on. You know, a lot of us, through lack of knowledge and through a little bit of uh, religious zeal and enthusiasm, underestimate the devil. Uh, we feel that we can just make statements. We can live 
are contrary to the Spirit of God. We can walk in the flesh, and then when we come into church, we can whip up something that we think it is the Spirit of God. Listen, the devil plan, the devil's plan is to get us to be carnal. Whether we're singing choruses carnal, whether we're preaching carnal, if he can get us carnally minded, we are defeated while we are singing, I've got the Holy Ghost and it's keeping me alive. Uh, the devil's purpose is to undermine that which God plans uh, to establish in our lives. And so here fallen man is, has fallen, has come to the place where his mind is carnal. When you're carnal, you're under the influence of the devil. He is the God of this world. Uh, the devil has perverted ambition he'd like to plant into your life. He'd like to give you perverted ambition to be a great preacher or a great something else. He catches you one way or the other. And so it is important that we understand what I'm telling you tonight. And so Paul writes, he says, let nothing be done. He said, fulfill ye my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, the same love, that is not carnal love, and one accord, uh, he says, of one accord and of one mind. When I, today I was thinking about the early church apostles when Jesus sent them. Uh, he spent three and a half years, like tradition tells us, and he sent them to the upper room to, to tarry until they receive that which will enable them to develop the mind of Christ. Well, when they got there, uh, in chapter 2 of Acts, it says, and they were, when they were all together in one mind and in one accord. Well, chapter 1 did not describe them as that, because chapter 1 describes a bunch of individuals that had followed Jesus for three and a half years, but did not really have everything that they needed to have one mind. And when you look at that, they were there, and uh, they were experimenting on finding out the will of God. They were trying to experiment, like many of us today, innocently, we try to do that. We formulate our own concept of the will of God. Uh, today, in this world where this pandemic is, is creating havoc in the world, every man becomes a little island by himself. I love it. I love the concept of each one of us being left alone because, guess what? There might come a time in the future of this world where you not have a bunch of people standing with you. And that is why, if you listen to me carefully, we're to use this world but not let the world uh, use us. And this streaming uh, is what the world does out there to promote their own ideas. We're capitalizing on the streaming for spiritual benefits. And that is why I told you, if you're to follow with us on the streaming, there's a way to do it. Anything contrary to that is fulfilling the desires of your flesh and not submitting yourself to what we are saying. Uh, they are very, God is very specific when he gives commandments. If Jesus said right side of the boat, he meant not convenient side, right side. If he told uh, Naaman, dip seven times in the river Jordan, it's not a river in Damascus that is cleaner and fresher. No, you have to dip in the muddy river Jordan seven times. If he said march around the walls of Jericho one time, uh, one day for seven days, and on the seventh day, march around seven times and then shout and put the priest, the guys that don't know to fight, put them in front to carry the Ark of the Covenant, then God must be obeyed. Uh, we were told that when men try to use their own wisdom, their own understanding to accomplish the purpose of God, it didn't work. Saul did that. When the Lord sent the nation of Israel to destroy the Amalekites, Saul decided, well, it seems like the ungodly people were a little more prosperous. And that is why many of us, we forsake true discipleship and serve God at our convenience uh, to fulfill the desires of the world and whatever the world wants to desire. And so when the Lord sent Saul uh, to, to war against the Amalekites, Saul did his own will. He did not want to follow the will of God. He used human reasoning. And so the devil capitalized on Saul's eye, lust of the eye, the lust of his flesh, 
and the pride of life, what could be accomplished. And so when the Lord uh, sent Saul, he did not do what the Lord commanded him. And so Samuel came over to Saul, and the Lord sent Samuel the prophet. And as the prophets never has easy messages. Um, I feel like my messages are never easy. It's always blunt. It's there to expose hypocrisy. I feel the Lord gives me messages to expose hypocrisy. Don't get angry. A lot of time I'll preach a message and the person listening. Uh, if you are, if you have, you're under the influence of demonic powers, you will not like what I say. The devil in you will rise up and want to challenge what I say. If I'm saying the word of God, fall under rock. Because rejection of the truth will allow God to give you over to strong delusions that you'll believe a lie and be damned. That is what the scripture says. And so when Samuel came on in to see Saul, he was the prophet. And sometimes a carnal fellowship and a carnal church and carnal saints allow a minister to lose his composure of meekness and calmness. And like Jesus, he would have to walk into the church and beat the money changers out. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, went into the temple and drove the hypocrites out. That is why this gentle Jesus that will take children upon his lap and bless them. He looked at the Pharisees and he says, you whitewashed sepulchers. You, you, you dress the outside, but inside is full of dead men's bones. This is why this gentle Jesus, the meek Jesus, the gentle Jesus, had to be strong in his approach. And that is why Jesus, so we're still studying Jesus, we'll never be able to fully study everything that he did and understand him. It is only when we have the Holy Ghost genuinely in our lives and God is working there that will teach us all things. Uh, Samuel walked over there, walked over to King Saul, and he said to Saul, he, uh, Saul says, praise the Lord, I've done the will of the Lord. And the prophet said, if you did the will of the Lord, how come I'm hearing the bleating of sheep? He says, well, I spared the king. The Lord said, kill him. He spared it. And that is why compromising your gospel is not good. Compromising your Christian life is not good. And Samuel, uh, Saul had compromised his position. Listen, a child of God need to be sanctified from the spirit of society. And when he said, I spare this to sacrifice unto the Lord. It's like if I go and buy a lottery ticket and says, Lord, if you help me to win, I will support your church. Have I ever done that in the past? I tried that a few times, but it doesn't work. The child of God cannot win a lottery to support the church. We cannot bring the wealth of the ungodly into the church, compromise our faith, and expect that the Lord is going to bless us. doesn't work that way. And Samuel looked at Saul and he says, Obedience is better than sacrifice, and to hearken to God than the fat of rams. And I like to say the same today. Obeying God is better than sacrifices and to hearken to God better than the fat of rams, spiritually speaking and literally speaking. And so here in Philippians, uh, Paul is writing, he says, let nothing be done through strife, where the flesh gets in there and you want to condemn someone because they're not measuring up to your standards. Listen, the church belongs to God. As a minister, it is my God-given responsibility to save the lost. Don't try to influence me to hate the lost. My job is to hate the sin, but to love the sinner. My job is to take that which is a reject and bring that into relationship with God. That's my job. If you've got a problem with the people I'm trying to save, you've got a major problem. And that is what the religious hypocrites in the days of Jesus had. They had a problem because they said he is hanging out with prostitute harlots and sinners. Uh, what kind of Jesus this is. 
But that's the same Jesus that condemned the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And yet at the same time, a woman caught in adultery, he was able to reach out to her. And, and, and after he drove the crowds away, he says, woman, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. He didn't compromise with sin. He forgives sin. Listen, we are all sinners and we need God to help us. And that is why if a man falls, he which is spiritual, kick him down. No, restore a man to that place where he can come. How many times do I forgive him? Seventy times seven. But he did the same thing again. I don't care what you think. I'm telling you how God thinks. Because if God was to destroy me for every mistake I made, I've been dead many, many years ago. But the grace that God has shown me, I must ask God to help me to reflect that to others. Now we need to come to that place where we can show that mercy of God. And that is why Paul is writing this. He said, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. To have a desire for vain glory, for recognition in the world. I hope somebody, I like my preaching tonight. That's vain glory. The devil can capitalize on your preaching and make you feel like you're some great power of God when you're all full of the flesh and you're full of his spirit rather than the spirit of Christ, which is the spirit of humility. And so as I'm preaching a message, and this is what I'm doing, I'm preaching a message that's saving me. And so Paul says, look not, not for vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, with humility. Lowliness of mind is something that the devil uh, would work desperately to change in your life. Because uh, your concept of the devil is that he's some ugly imp that you, by saying the name of Jesus, can bind him and bound him and have him locked up in a room somewhere. When Jesus met the devil in the book of Zechariah, Jude writes about it and he says, Michael the archangel, the archangel, when he stands before the devil, does not bring about him a silly or a stupid or a railing accusation. But Michael said, the Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. But yet you and I, little harebrained preachers and saints, we can all sing together. There's power in the name of Jesus and we're ending up telling the devil he's a liar and he's, he's no good and all of that. I know he's a liar. He's supposed to deceive you. God created him for that purpose. And your rebuking him would not stop him if he's got a job to do. The messenger of the devil that buffeted Paul, your prayer and fasting would not have stopped him. We're so easily deceived by the devil that makes us feel like we can tell him rebuke, rebuke him and he's gone. No, the Bible says resist the devil. How do I resist the devil? By not becoming uh, proud and exalted, but develop the spirit of Christ. And that is what this message is all about. And uh, it is important that you follow me tonight. And Paul says, he says, Look not every man in his own things. Well, I'm thinking about me and my wife, my son John, his wife, and us four and no more. It's me and my congregation. It's me and my message. Me and myself are the greatest people that you can ever find. Listen, the greatest man that ever walked on this earth was the Lord Jesus himself. And he was despised and rejected of men and a man of sorrows. But if you feel you can be prosperous and you can be great, suit yourself. When you have the spirit of Christ, it's a different thing. And that's why I'm talking to you tonight. Because we need the mind of Christ. He says in verse 5, let this mind, the mindset, the thinking, the attitude, the behavior, 
the attributes of Christ be in you. What kind of Christ, what kind of mind you're talking about, brother Singh? Well, Paul, Paul is talking about it. I'm just repeating what he said. He says, be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The, the spirit of Christ we need in our lives, not to give us uh, goosebumps and make us dance and make us speak in tongues. There's more to receiving the Holy Ghost than just the physical manifestations of some Pentecostal uh, gimmicks. I am Pentecostal, but I don't believe the spirit of Christ would send me in a hog wild attitude, with a hog wild attitude and a hog wild behavior. If the devil can turn our services into carnal services, he has defeated us and it stagnates the mind of Christ from being developed in our lives. What mind we're talking about, Paul? Who being in the form of a creator? He was God, the creator. Uh, John writes about him and he says, uh, he says, um, in the beginning was the word and that word was Jesus and the word was with the father. And the word was creator. He was God. Not in the fullness of sonship, but he was God. He created. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus created everything that is in the world today. He created the angels. He created the planets. The father's only creation was his son. And then his son created everything. Uh, John writes here, let me hold my finger. I didn't want to run us all over the place. But John writes in chapter 1 of the Gospel of John. Uh, let me get that here. He says, in the beginning, in the creation, before anything existed, was the Word. And the Word, Jesus, Word, Jesus, was with God. And the Word was God or a God in the God family. The same was in the beginning with God. There's accompaniment here. Uh, there's uh, more than one individuals here. Uh, he was with God. All things were made by him, that is, by the word. And without him was not anything made that was made. So the father created the son. And the son made everything else. Uh, leave John and come back with me into... But come back into Revelation. Uh, he says unto the angel of the church of Laodicea. Chapter 3 of Revelation and verse 14. Unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write. These things said the amen. Uh, the faithful and true witness. That's Jesus. He is the amen. The faithful and true witness. He is the alpha and omega. There are many, many titles he has got. Uh, it says he's the Lamb of God. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. But here it's, he's called the Amen, uh, the faithful and true witness. The beginning of the creation of God. He is the beginning of God's creation. In other words, he was the first born. That God, he was the first in creation that God made. And then God allowed him to create everything else. So he was not just a little angel. He created the angel. That is why of all the messengers that God has, angelic messengers, he is the ark angel. Now someone might have said, there's more than one archangel. My Bible doesn't say that. It says archangel. It never says archangels. Gabriel is not an archangel. Michael was. Michael was an archangel. He is in charge. He was predominant. He was the creator of all. So I'm leaving Revelation a little bit here and I'm coming back to Corinthians. And instead of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, I'm coming here to chapter 15. It talks about Christ. In, in chapter 15, it says, uh, verse, uh, verse 16. For if the dead, Paul is writing about a resurrection. He says, if the dead rise not, then is Christ not risen. Uh, Christ is risen because of the resurrection, the possibility of the dead coming to life. And if Christ be not raised, if Christ is still in the grave, like some people say he is, 
then you as a Christian, your faith is in vain. You're serving God in futility. He says, and you're yet in your sins because if he didn't rise from the dead, it means he was sinful and he died and remained dead. It says there, then they which have fallen asleep in Christ, like Stephen and Paul and the Old Testament saints, uh, Moses and everyone else, they're, uh, they're perished. They're not to come to life. He says, but if, if in this life only we have, in, we have hope in Christ, we are all men most miserable. I'm so glad I don't have uh, hope in Christ only in this life. I have more hope beyond this life. And Paul went on, went on to say here, he says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. Christ is the firstfruits of them that slept. So not only was he created as the firstborn in creation, in the original creation, but he is the firstborn of them uh, from the dead. So uh, when we're thinking of the resurrection, God resurrected his son. And his son will resurrect the rest. God created his son in the original creation. And his son created everything else. God resurrected his son. And the rest will be resurrected at his coming. Uh, Paul mentions to us. And so when we think about this, it is important. Uh, I'm leaving Philippians. And I'm coming back to Colossians. Uh, going far to Colossians, the very first chapter of Colossians. And Paul is writing here. In Colossians, and he's talking about uh, uh, firstborn. Uh, he's talking about Christ here, giving thanks to the Father, verse 12, who had made us made to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Uh, he says, who had delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his own son. The Father has a process he's doing like in, uh, for mankind. Fallen man is being translated out of darkness. You see, there's so much uh, to give God thanks for, and there's so much to praise God for that uh, one service can do it all. And so coming down here, he says, Who is Christ in whom in Christ, verse 14, we have redemption through his blood. And that is why he came. He came to redeem mankind that was depraved and fallen, even the forgiveness of our sins. Uh, we have in Christ. Verse 15, he is, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So the Father is invisible. And the Father created the Son. And that is why when he created the Son, he said in Genesis, he says, let us make man in our own images. No, he did not. He says, let us, plural, make man, singular, in our image, one image God has, and that is his son. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. God cannot be seen. He dwells in the light which no man can approach unto. There's so many scriptures that's taking me from my line of thoughts that I really can't get done tonight. And so uh, Paul is writing here, he says, whom we in whom we have redemption, through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. Isn't that something? And the firstborn, not in the resurrection, like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, he says he is the firstborn of every creature. Or uh, the center column reference would have in, of creation. He is the firstborn in creation. For by him, he had to be the firstborn because he was the one that created everything else. For by him were all things created that are in heaven. Angels uh, were created by Jesus. The stars created by Jesus. Uh, the planets created by Jesus. The galaxies, endless, created by Jesus. The sun created by Jesus. The moon created by Jesus. The plants in this world, created by Jesus. Now Paul says, Therefore by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities. Even Satan, uh, not created as Satan, but he was created uh, as a, an angel that had no iniquity. 
Uh, no iniquity was found in him until he decided to go contrary to God's plan. Perverted ambition brought iniquity in his life. And perverted ambition will bring iniquity in any one of our lives. That is why Paul, when he was writing to Timothy, he says, ordain not a novice. Uh, not a man that's not process of God, not some joker in the pulpit. In spite of a man's academic qualifications, uh, he should not be a novice in the pulpit, lest the spirit of Lucifer takes of hold of him, lest he being, uh, uh, he being perverted by the devil, Paul says, ordained not a novice, let he, lest he being lifted up with pride fall into the condemnation of the devil. Christ is the image of God. And he's the one that we're to seek after and become like him. And we're coming back into Philippians in a minute here. He says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether there be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and were really for him. For he is before all things and by him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is, uh, who is the beginning and firstborn from the dead. Now, Colossians have both aspects. He was the firstborn in creation, and he is the firstborn from the dead. Afterwards, Paul says, they that are Christ at his coming. Nobody will be resurrected prior to Jesus, uh, those resurrected at his, at his coming. Uh, which is a general subject. And so this is important. All your leave Philippians and uh, leave Colossians and turn across with me to Hebrews, the very first chapter of the book of Hebrews. And so this is so beautiful. Uh, Paul here in, uh, in, first, uh, in Hebrews chapter 1, he says, God, who at sundry times, verse 1, and in divers manner, speak unto the, unto, uh, in time past unto the fathers, by the prophets, he says, hath in these last days spoken to us by his son. Uh, the church is under the leadership of Christ. Uh, that is why I get worried when we try to take leadership of the church. When we vote in and vote out. You see, and that was the disunity that the early church apostles had in chapter 1 of Acts. They wanted to jump the guns and go ahead and appoint another apostle. They were divided, and that is why they came up with two individuals. And they learned a lesson in chapter 1 that motivated them to pull their, their resources together and have a common mindset that by the time we read chapter 2, they were all together in one mind and in one spirit. They had a unity. Well, for us to become like Christ, we must develop his mindset. And Paul writes here, God has spoken to us by his Son, uh, it says, um, had spoken in these last days by his son, whom he appointed here, that is, he is to inherit all things. That is why the scripture says, Bible helps itself. You know, you don't need to go to some seminary somewhere uh, to understand God. This Bible can explain itself. Isaiah said, here a little, and there a little, line upon line, and precept upon precept. And it goes on here, he says, who being in the brightness, he is heir of all things by whom God made the worlds. The Father made the worlds by the Son. He created everything by the Son. It says, who being the brightness of the Father's glory. I want to have see the glory of God. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus and you'll see the Father's glory. I have my finger. There's no way I can finish a lesson in one hour, 45 minutes. But I have my finger in Hebrews uh, chapter 1. I have my finger in Philippians chapter 2. And I'm thinking of taking you somewhere else tonight. And I don't think we'll have time for that. So let's see here. Uh, he is the brightness of the Father's glory. In Hebrews chapter 1, uh, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, whom he had by himself purged sin. And right now he sat down at the right hand of the majesty and high. That is why when Stephen was being stoned, he looked up and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand. Every time something dramatic takes place on the earth, uh, Jesus stands up. 
That is what Daniel 12 tells us. At that day, Michael shall stand up. That is why when Jesus comes back, he comes back with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and will resurrect the dead. And so we look at Christ here. It says, uh, he had, it says, and he being uh, come down further on, it says, for unto which of the angels, verse 5, said he at any time, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. He said that to the son. And he goes on here, he says, uh, to the son, uh, in verse uh, 7, he says, and unto which of, unto, and, uh, of the angels, he said, who make it his angels spirits, and his ministers the flame of fire, but unto the son, the Father said unto the Son, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness, is the scepter of thy kingdom. The Father is talking to the Son. And he said to the Son, and he said unto the Son, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness, is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. That is the spirit of Christ that we must have. We can't fellowship with iniquity and develop the spirit of Christ. No, sir, we can't. We're talking about Jesus and his pursuing his mindset. And it goes on here in verse um, uh, 8. It says, but unto the son, he said, thy throne. The father is calling the son. He says, God Thy throne is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hatred and iniquity. Therefore, me, God, God, me, the Father, has an, even your God. Does the Son have a God? Yes, the Father made him. Thy God has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above your fellows. No one else has this oil of gladness. But thou was, <coughs> and thou, Lord... Uh, the Father is calling the Son, Lord. In the beginning has laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hand. They shall perish, but you will exist forever. Isn't this beautiful? We can look at the Bible and it defends itself. Amen. It really does. The reason why you can come up with a false doctrine is because you don't know the Bible. Amen. You've been brainwashed. And so back in Philippians chapter 2, and so Paul is telling us uh, to develop the mind of Christ. In order for us to conquer this world and the flesh and our carnal nature, we need the mind of Christ genuinely. And he goes on here, and it, lest, lest you have a problem, and uh, maybe we'll continue on the weekend on this concept. Uh, I hold up my finger in Philippians, the second chapter, and turn back to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, Paul writes here, and I'm going to deal with 1 Corinthians chapter 1 a little bit more on the weekend probably. And then in chapter 2, he concludes this chapter by saying, For who had known the mind of the Lord? He says that he may instruct him. He says, but we have the mind of Christ. Now that's not a fickle statement. You can say it. But you can still have your own mind and say, well, I have the mind of Christ. No, no, no. To have the mind of Christ is to have his attributes and to think like him. To figure out what he wants in your life. To have the mind of Christ is not a fickle statement. That's what Paul meant. And so here in Philippians, uh, Paul went on, verse chap chapter uh, 2 and verse... Um, uh, five, he says, let his mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of creator, God the creator, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. The translators made a mess on this. And you know, I have a problem with translators. A lot of people boast the translators. I have a problem with them because most of their doctrines were false doctrines. When I'm thinking of the people that were translating this Bible, King James was from the Church of Scotland. The individuals that helped to translate it and to come to a common accord, some were Puritans and some were Catholics. And they did what they wanted to, like they did here. 
who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That's not what the Oxford Bible says in the central column. Rest. That, if that is to be read just like it is, it contradicts the rest of the, 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 the thought pattern of this entire scripture. Because he didn't want to be equal with God. He said, my father is greater than I. So the translators messed up. And if they messed up in one area, wonder how many other areas they'll mess up in. Are you criticizing the Bible? Well, not exactly and yes. I'm criticizing the translation. And that is why I need the Holy Ghost to help me out here. Amen. That I might put things in proper perspective. If verse 4, uh, verse, verse 6 was like it is written in the King James, it contradict, contradict the humility of Christ. It says, but the margin says, who being in the form of God, thought not equality with God something to be grasped at, but emptied himself of his repetition and took upon him the form of a servant. He came down, gave up his position, and came past the angel state and took upon him the form of a man and uh, was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself. He didn't try to exalt himself. There are two kinds of spirit here. The spirit of Christ and the spirit of Lucifer. I need the spirit of Christ. The mindset of Christ. I'm to pursue the mindset of Christ. And that is why discipleship and everything else that the scripture demands is of absolute importance. That is why arrogance is not required. That is why empathy is needed. That is why sympathy is needed. That is why compromise should be compromise uh, with sin should be avoided. That's why personal self-exaltation should be avoided. Developing the mind of Christ is a project. And that is what Paul meant when he concludes, he said, being found in the fashion of a man. What he did, he humbled himself. How obedient, became obedient even unto death of the cross. Wherefore God had highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. I'm finishing off here tonight because of time, but listen to me as I conclude. It's not the end of the subject. Jesus would never ask anyone to be his disciple if he was not, first of all, his father's disciple. Amen. The best example of discipleship is found in the Lord Jesus himself, who emptied himself of the glory and splendor of God the Creator, became a human being, and the beings that he created had them crucify him and nail him to a cross because he wanted the spirit of humility to become our spirit. And when I look at the church today, people speak in tongues, but they don't have the spirit of Christ. People are preaching and shouting, feeling God the Holy Ghost, but their life expressions has no simplicity nor humility as I find in Jesus. May God help us to develop the mind of Christ and we will continue this lesson on the weekend. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for this immaculate example of discipleship set forth in your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The sacrifice and dedication he made, Father, we thank you tonight that he is our example. And I pray, Father, that this example will become our example and we may pursuing developing his mind rather than developing the spirit of arrogance that comes from the devil. Give us the simplicity and humility of Christ, we pray. In his wonderful name we ask it. Amen and amen.